Hey, uh, thanks for being here. I think that's what Adam was about to say. And if you were not here last week, so I, I postulated that there are numbers that are familiar to us that really don't need any explanation. You kind of know them. Uh, it may take you a moment, but you'll pick up on it. So let's just, we'll just kind of see like this number right here. So how many of you know what this number is? That's the zip code here in Miamisburg, all right? Uh, this one's a little bit broader. Right, it's the emergency number, right. How about this? So we'll go, we'll go away from that. How about this one? Days in a year, good. How about last week I was told what this number was. I did not know until last week. Right, according to... Okay, so the other thing that we've done is identified the nerds in the room. Um, <laughs> Am I right? Am I? I'm right. That's right. Okay. I'm not. There's no shame in that, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Did anybody else know that? I was thinking Jackie Robinson. Uh, okay. This number here. You you may not know this number, but it's it's a big number. As a matter of fact, uh, I wanted to make sure that you know what this number is. That's 51% is roughly the number of Americans who say they go to church or a worship service somewhere between once a month and multiple times a week. Now, the, the reason that number is, I mean, 51%, what that equals actually is 166,418,812 people. So, in perspective, if you put... All of the people who have ever gone to a basketball game, football game, soccer, uh, uh, tennis, any public sporting event, you add them up in a single year, everybody who ever went in a single year, it would not equal the number of people who will be in worship this weekend. Uh, So more people, let me just make that real clear, more people will be in worship this weekend than the number of people from January to December who have gone to any level of any sporting event this whole entire year. The question that begs, at least from my side of the pulpit, is why, right? What is it, what is it about the church that draws people? Why will people be there this weekend? Why are you here this weekend? It's a question that, that, we, you know, that, that is begged just by the sheer volume of people. Now, last weekend, I showed you one other number that you may not recognize, but I hope that you will by the time we're done. It's this number here, 242. Does anybody, if you were here last week, please let there be someone who was here last week who remembers this number. Uh, Does anybody remember what this number is? It's Acts 242, right? Uh, So if you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there, Acts 242. And we set this up last week by talking about uh, what's going on in the book of uh, of Acts. And, uh, And we talked about the fact that the church is characterized by certain things. As a matter of fact, Acts 242 tells us what those four characteristics of the early church are. Uh, One is that they were devoted to what the apostles were teaching, right? To the stories they were telling and the things they'd heard Jesus say. Uh, The church is characterized by fellowship. That means community or relationships to the breaking of bread, which is communion, but it's bigger than that. We'll talk about it next week. And to prayer. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But in essence, Acts, if you've never read this book before that's in the Bible, it's the fifth book of the Bible, or in the New Testament, excuse me, it's the fifth book in the New Testament. If you've never read it before, it's basically the history of the church from the time it began. Uh, And so the church hasn't always been around. 
uh, when it begins in the book of Acts, we begin to see why it, uh, why it began, what the impetus was, and then what, they, what it was characterized by. And last week, I said that, we, uh, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And we talked about why that was and what that was and how we still hold on to that today and why it's important for us to do that still today. And if you missed any of that, I hope you'll go to our website and check that message out. But this morning, we want to look at the idea of fellowship and what that is. So if you've been in the church forever, uh, some of us grew up going to church, there's a Greek word, one of the few Greek words you may actually recognize, it's the word koinonia. And I don't know if you've heard that word before, if you're familiar with that word, it's what we translate fellowship. It in essence means community, it means joint participation, it means sharing something uh, in common. Basically, it's all about relationships. On your notes, it says this because relationships are so important. William Arthur Ward said, and maybe you've noticed this is true in your own life. Every person has the power to make others happy. One simply does it by entering a room, others by leaving, right? You've, you've noticed that. It's all about relationships, right? This is an important part of the church because we were created with a need. It's hardwired into us with this need for community, this need to be connected with other people. And I know, listen, I know that some people are introverted and, and, and they're loners and they prefer solitude. I understand that. And most, listen, most of us, if not all of us, need moments of solitude, but it's the rare person and, and quite potentially an unhappy person who never wants to come into contact with another human being. If you go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, and we've talked about this, at when, when, uh, when God creates Adam in the Garden of Eden, Adam had this intimate relationship, more intimate relationship with God, a closer relationship with God than anybody else. There was nobody else, but he had this relationship uh, with God that nobody else has enjoyed, and yet Adam was lonely for human companionship. And so God said, it's not good for man to be alone, and he created Eve. And I don't know if you ever insert yourself into Bible stories or not, you know, kind of put yourself in the position of Adam when God wakes you up and there's Eve. Can you imagine what it was like to see her for the first time? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what a gift. Wrap her up, God. I'll t- On second thought, don't wrap her up. I'll take her just the way she is, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about, uh, guys? Um, man has this innate, we have hardwired, again, this desire for community. So when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, you probably remember, he, the most important one is this, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He's quoting the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. But look at what he says next because he's not even asked what the second greatest commandment is. He's asked what's the greatest, but he can't answer the first without giving the second, which is love your neighbor as yourself. There is is no commandment. Nothing's even close to these two uh, commandments. The most important thing we can do is love God, but the second most important thing we can do is love each other, especially in the church, which is why here at MCC, in case you've never heard us say this, we say that we value community because we know that God exists in community, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, right? He lives in community, and we are image bearers of God. We, we, look, we have glimmers of him inside of us, and so we should live in community. And quite frankly, listen, if, if you're not going to get to know everyone here, you may recognize faces, you may recognize names, 
but you're not going to get to know, know everyone. And so while you can't get to know everyone, you need to experience community by getting to know at least someone here. And we're going to talk about exactly what that means. But the early church talked about this. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he said, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with God's people. You're members of his household, the living Bible, I like the way it says, says this, members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong. You belong in God's household with every other Jesus follower. Listen, it's all over the New Testament. Again, in Ephesians, Paul says his unchanging plan His unchanging plan has always been, not a new plan, not a last-ditch effort, not the second choice. His plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through his son, Jesus. Listen, the, the entire book, this book, is a story about God creating a family for himself from the beginning to the end. And that's what this is all about. God is building a family for himself that's not just going to last your lifetime here on earth but it lasts for eternity. It continues forever. That's why, and this is on your notes, relationships are so important to us here at MCC that when we talk about discipleship, and that just means learning to follow Jesus, when we talk about that, we never just talk about your relationship with God because discipleship, following Jesus, is more than your relationship with God. It also includes your relationship with the people around you. As a matter of fact, those who study the church tell us that if you don't develop relationships with two or three other people within your first six months, you won't stay. Think about that. If you don't develop relationships with two or three other people within six months, you will not stay here. That's why we're talking about uh, fellowship, relationships, community, joint participation, this joint sharing uh, in common that God has purposed to happen inside his family. In Romans 12, it says, In Christ we who are many form one body. And each member what? Belongs. We belong to all, we belong to all the others. Now, let me show you why it's important. Uh, the important part of this fellowship is what God does in our lives through the church. So you ready? First John. So the guy who wrote the gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament, he has three letters at the end of the New Testament as well. And first John one, three says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So this is one of the 12, the apostles doctrine. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So think about this for a moment transparency, honesty, right? Can you have fellowship with people outside the church? Of course you can. I know we're sitting in church. Oh no, is the answer no? Should I say no? Because it feels like yes, right? The answer is of course you can. Some of us have fellowship with people we work with, right? You have people that you work with that you see outside of the workplace. They're your friends. You eat together. You get together on the weekend. Sometimes when something's going on, you want to reach into their lives. Yesterday at the golf outing uh, uh, for our missions, I I met guys that you invited from work. You hang out outside of the workplace. And it was, I wish you could have seen it. It was fun to watch these guys interact with each other. By the way, if you participated in the golf outing yesterday or sponsored, helped to sponsor that event, thank you so much. Uh, It was so much fun. We had a great time. But it could be a college fraternity, military group, bridge clubs, friends in your neighborhood that you build community with. Listen, I've seen raising, I'm sorry, uh, giving birth to a child 
Two women go into a hospital. They don't know each other before they go in. They're both giving birth to a child at the same time. Have you seen this happen? And when they leave, there's this relationship, this friendship that has been built that goes for years through their whole child rearing. I've known people who have gone to the hospital, didn't know each other, built a friendship, and one led the other one to Christ. And it all began with having a a child. I have worn an Ohio State uh, T-shirt in other places. I've been in airports all across our country and around the world. And I will tell you this, you walk through an airport anywhere in the world with an Ohio State t-shirt or sweatshirt or shirt on, and someone is going to say to you, that's exactly what they do. And I don't know why it always catches me off guard. Pick any team color. You wear your team colors anywhere in the world, but especially Ohio State. But if you wear them anywhere in the world, I was in the Philippines on the opposite side of the world. We, I was with a missionary. We had to go to the mall to buy something very quickly. I don't remember what it was, but we were just going in and back out. And as we're rushing in to get this, we're going down the, the mall, and I just glance into a store to our right, and there's a guy with an Ohio State hat on. An Ohio State. I had to go back. I spent 15 minutes talking to the guy to figure out why he, was, why he was in the Philippines. Here's the thing. Not all meaningful friendships are in the church, but the potential for the most meaningful relationships are here. And John tells us why in that verse. Now, you remember I said that the word fellowship means to have in common. Our fellowship is contingent upon what? The foundation is our relationship with God. The one thing that we all share in common, right? Our fellowship is based on a common belief system, a common lifestyle, common values, common priorities. And I wonder if you haven't experienced what I have. When you meet somebody else who is a Jesus follower, and you may not have known each other before that, you don't know what else you have in common, but the moment you find out you're both Christians, now there's a rapport. Now it's like some bridge has been built for both of you. And there's this instant rapport with people just because of our values. But it's important to understand that it is based on a common commitment to Jesus, right? Now, there's going to be different levels of friendship, right? As a matter of fact, we talk about three levels of friendships. The first is a casual acquaintance. You have a lot of those here. You recognize a face. Have you ever been out in public, like at a store or something, grocery store, and you go, yeah, that person looks familiar. Why do they look so familiar to me? Uh, and, and maybe it's because you go to church together here and you don't know their name or anything, but you just recognize their face. And so Jesus had that 5,000 people at one time, maybe as many as 15 were there to hear him when he fed uh, the people, but thousands of people followed him. They were casual acquaintances. And then the second level is good friends. We talk about good friends. Those are people whose names, you know, and, and you may not know everything about them, but you recognize their face, you know, their name. Jesus had 12 12 good friends. We call them apostles, but they were with him all the time. But from those 12, and I don't know if you know this or not, he had three that we would consider close companions. So as close as the 12 were, and some of us who maybe aren't as familiar with the story of Jesus as others would think the 12 were it. But inside the 12 were three, Peter, James, and John, who went places the other nine didn't go. They saw things and experienced things that the other nine didn't get to experience. And it ought to be our goal here at MCC that while we have some casual acquaintances that we recognize and we have some good friends that we know better, but that we have some close companions where we, where we share life. I mean, there's a soul on soul 
kind of a thing going on. If Jesus needed that kind of fellowship, how much more do we? I just want to say, listen, it's not a luxury. It's a necessity to our faith. Now, is it possible for someone to be saved and not have any fellowship with other Christians? Of course it is. If, you're a, if any of you all are a hermit living in a cave, uh, it is possible. To, if you're a missionary family living in a foreign land, pagan land, where you're trying to reach people for Christ, there may not be any Christians there yet. If you're a prisoner in solitary confinement, you can have a relationship with God and no relationship with any other Christians. I just want to say that's not the ideal. It's not how God made us. When you read through the New Testament, you find out how many times we're to do things together. We're told to pray for one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another, build one another up, confess our faults to one another, love one another, be devoted to one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. That's my favorite one to do with Sandy. Sometimes I go back out and come back in just so we can greet another with a holy kiss. Uh, Instruct one another, serve one another. Is that too much information? Uh, Bear with one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds and offer hospitality to one another. Because, and this is in your notes, I want to make sure you get this, we devote ourselves to community here because it satisfies my need to be loved. We all need to be loved. These close companions, these are the relationships where we, listen, you don't have to pretend. Do you have people you don't have to pretend around? I mean, you can do and say whatever it is that's who you are in that moment, and they're okay with that. Conversations go places, no other conversations go. Your life is shared. All of your life is shared. You, you, you become accountable, especially, especially in the hard seasons of life, where you don't want people to see how you're responding. You don't want people to know what you're thinking. You don't want people to know what you've been saying because you're kind of embarrassed by it. But these people know those things. Listen, everyone hears what you say. Your friends listen to what you say. Your best friends listen to what you don't say. Their ears are per- There's a sign that says a friend is someone who will bail you out of jail. A best friend is the one sitting next to you saying, man, that was fun, right? Uh, Clara Knoll was a mom, young mom from Oklahoma. She said it was one of the worst days of my life. The washing machine broke down. The phone kept ringing. Uh, the, post- the postal delivery guy brought a bill. I didn't know where I was going to get the money to pay for it. She said, almost to the breaking point, I lifted my one-year-old son into his high chair, and then I leaned my head down on the tray of his high chair and just began to weep. She said, without a word, my son took his pacifier out of his mouth and shoved it in mine. Uh, <laughs> Isn't it interesting? It's almost like we're born. We're born with this understanding that people need loved and that we need to be loved and cared for. And the church ought to be the place. We have the potential to be the place where the deepest, most caring, loving relationships occur. Notice I keep saying potential. Why don't you pick up on that? I like this. A friend is someone who knows the song in your heart. I think this is on your notes and can sing it back when you've forgotten the words. Because there will be times when you do. You will forget what the words to your song are. And your friend will need to sing it to you to remind you. Jesus said this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then Jesus would go on to say, as a matter of fact, this is how everyone's going to know you're even a follower of mine. It's not by what church you go to. It's not what Bible you carry. Not what songs you know how to sing. It's by how you love one another. And so one of his followers 
his close companions would say, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth that you have sincere love for your brothers. Look at how he says to do it. This is one of my favorite verses. Love one another deeply. Love one another deeply from the heart. So we all have this need to love and be loved. And in the church, this is the potential for the richest, deepest, most authentic love. Not available anywhere else in the world like this. And I keep saying potential because I want you to understand, sitting in this room doesn't get it for you. It doesn't happen while you sit in this room. It happens when you get out of your chair and you reach out of your life into someone else's life to make that happen. The potential becomes realized. But I want you to see this because we'll devote ourselves to community because it also meets our need for reinforcement. It's not just for love, it's for reinforcement because sometimes the world can be a discouraging place. I don't know if you notice, you ever get the impression that you're the only one committed to following Jesus? Do you ever wonder if there's any other Jesus followers around you? Because it feels like everyone else is cheating on the test in school, right? It feels like everyone else is doing drugs. It feels like everyone else is greedy. I don't know if the singles here, if you ever feel like everyone else in the world is having sex, but you, how can this, and then, but when you have community with Christian people and you realize, right, you're not alone. There are more people who share my convictions and it's reinforcing. I don't know if you ever feel like a fool for sacrificing your money. Am I stupid for tithing? And then you read Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. The reason we come together is so we can spur one another on to good works, right? Good deeds and love. Parents, do you ever wonder to yourself, am I the only parent who is putting this on my child? Am I, just, am I more uptight about this than, than I need to be? About how late they're allowed to be out on a school night or the weekend? Or what they can or can't do. What movies I don't want them to see. What music I don't want them to listen to. Right? It seems like everyone else's kid is going to that party and there's not going to be any chaperones. Listen, maybe I'm making too big of a deal out of it. And you begin to second guess yourself. And you begin to walk backwards and think maybe I should let them go. And then you get together with your Jesus following friends. And you find out because you've got real conversations with them. You can ask them about this. You can talk to them about this. And they let you know that they've been wondering the same thing. And they're so glad that you guys talked about it. I've told you before, when my kids were in high school, I had, there's another dad I talked to. We talked all the time because we wanted to be the best dads that we could and we needed each other. I wonder if this is what Solomon had in mind when he wrote Ecclesiastes and he said two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. It's horrible when someone falls down and there's no one to help them up. The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And if there's three of you, it's really hard to break that up. We need, we need that in our lives. One more, it's on your notes. I devote myself to community because it meets my need for accountability. Here's what you know, and I hope you understand I know. The world can be a tempting place. And I know from what I've read I know from personal experience, I've known from what other people have told me about how life blows up. Sometimes when you give in to that temptation, I know that. And it's still alluring. There's still a pull toward that. 
We never, none of us will ever be so spiritually mature that we don't need the caring rebuke, that we don't need a gentle reminder from another person who's walking the same journey of faith that we are to nudge us back in line. I think that's why Proverbs 27 reminds us that as iron sharpens iron, that's how we sharpen each other. We pull each other along in this. So the question becomes, is there anyone in your life that you've given the permission to tell you that you're wrong? Someone who, if, if they tell you something you don't like, and I'm telling you, they will tell you something you don't want to hear. You don't just turn them off. Because if anyone else said it, well, who cares what they're saying? But you've given this person permission to tell you. Someone who knows your secrets and likes you anyway. A lot of people never go deep in their faith because they're unwilling to have someone to be honest with. They don't want to tell them what's going on in their lives, what's happening in that moment. And I'm telling you, you won't have that person until you're willing to share the things that are hurting you. You're you're willing to reveal your feelings, disclose your doubts, confess your failures, acknowledge the areas where you're weak in life, and ask for their help and their prayer. And here, Here's what I know. I know there are people here this morning who are hearing those words, and that's the kind of relationship your heart is screaming for. I mean, right now, your heart is kicking its feet, and its arms are up in the air, pounding the air, because that's what you want. And there are others of us in the room who hear those words, and they scare us to death. And we are begging God that no one will ever get that close to us. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you that's who God longs for us to be. But it's bigger than that. It's who the world needs us to be. They need to see that there's a place where they can go and be real and not be concerned about judgment because we're here to love each other, not judge each other. So your next step in your relationship with Jesus, when it comes to this idea of community and relationships, can I encourage you, if you're not, would you be in a small group? Would you, as we go into this fall, we're going to be signing up for, for groups. We have all kinds of groups. Adam talked about them uh, in the video. You can find out on our website. We have groups for folks. We've got a group that is from the couch to a 5K, and they're just, their relationship with Jesus is round running. We've got a group that does refit at the other end of the building. We've got groups that meet together to study. The, we've got groups doing all kinds of stuff around here, from studying the Bible to running, anywhere in between. I know of a group of guys who meet, uh, I believe it's every week. They meet before work. It's early. They're studying together, and they're sharing life, and they're being honest, and they're talking about what's going on. And I've had one of those guys tell me, if it weren't for the other guys in that group, because he just went through something horrendous, said if it weren't for the other guys in the group, I don't even know where I'd be right now. Please be part of a group. Beginning September 10th, we're going to be looking at, uh, we're going to be talking about the end of me. We're going to be looking at some of Jesus's teachings uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, and our groups will do those together. I want to encourage you to do that, and, and maybe, maybe your call today isn't about being part of one. Maybe your call is about leading one. Maybe it's time for you to grab some of your friends and say, let's do this thing, and I'll take the lead on it. Or for you, maybe, maybe, listen, maybe it's about saying, I, I don't know if I can lead, but I'll open up my house and we can meet at my house whenever, my apartment, whatever, we can meet there. Because these relationships are that important. So I want to tell you, let me tell you what will happen if we do this. 
If you are willing to be part of this, I agree with Rick Warren. He said this, it's on your notes. Because everyone needs and wants to be loved. When people find a church where members genuinely love and care for each other, you would have to lock the doors to keep them away. So every week, uh, when we come to this time when we recommit ourselves together, and we say yes to Jesus and his kingdom in our lives and in our church, it is communion that draws our hearts together. This community, this very act of what we're about to do is drawn together by our common love for God and to remind ourselves of what Jesus said is the most important thing. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The act of communion helps us remember that. We focus on the cross. We focus on his death and burial and resurrection for our sins. Not because he did something, but because we did. And we are drawn back in our common love for God and his, his great love for us. And it compels us to come back to him. And these emblems that remind us of his body and his blood that compel us to remember that we must be in community with one another. Because we take it individually, but look around you. We're all doing this together. And it reminds us that Jesus said, not only is that the greatest commandment, but the second most important thing you can do is love your neighbor as yourself. And listen, this is, this is true in this room at this moment. And it helps to remind us that when events like Charlottesville happened last weekend... When we take these emblems that remind us of Jesus' love, we know that that kind of hatred and bigotry has no place in our community. And we agree with Dr. King who said, hate cannot drive, or darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can drive out darkness. Hatred cannot drive out hatred. Only love can do that. And these emblems that we hold in our hands, they remind us to love our neighbors because Jesus said there's nothing greater than you can do that you can do than that. It's the most important thing you'll ever do is love God and love other people. And so at on this day, on this weekend, you look around the room and you see everyone we're doing this together, individually but together. If you could see outside of the walls, you would see in Miamisburg, people are doing it. They're taking communion with us. If you could see beyond our city, through the state of Ohio and the United States of America, if you could see around the world, brothers and sisters who trust Jesus just like you are taking time to remember so that we love God and we love each other. And we go to him in prayer. God, we pray for this moment as we come before you and we just hold these things in our hands. They're just, they're everyday things that your son has pointed us to to remind us of the great love that you have shown for us. And so we pray that in this moment, we would recommit ourselves to you and to following you. And God, that we would commit ourselves to this community and to loving others well because that's how people know that we're your followers. So God, may this moment pull us close to you. And we pray this through your son, Jesus.